Okay, so this is a special episode of the Tipsy Theology Podcast. It's special in one regard in that it is sober, giving our uh, cer- certain situation going on where water is the preferred <laughs> thing to consume. Yeah. So <laughs> if we start acting not I'm also, sober... I'm also in a public yeah, okay, library. Yeah. I don't think I could bring like like a bottle of like... Jack Daniels. Oh, don't act like you wouldn't. And have like, don't act like you left. Anyways. Uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> Well, not you can't bring Jack Daniels. <laughs> you gotta do like vodka or tequila. So Well, yeah, that would be I, <laughs> That would yeah. Anyways. Yeah, just chugging tequila. If we do start acting not sober, then that's, then that's a good sign that Jesus answered our prayer. <laughs> Anyways, my listeners have no idea who's talking and responding to me right now. So let me introduce you. This is my one of my very closest friends. He was absolutely instrumental in helping me survive the last semester of my undergrad. Um, And he was definitely it's been wonderful to know him before we were friends, know a different version of him, who I also I loved at the time and still do. <laughs> I don't know why I said at the time. That didn't mean anything. But <laughs> but no, he <laughs> he was seriously one of the most intellectually articulate students in my undergrad program. So he was way beyond what I found in other of my peers and how he articulated himself. And this is before his deconstruction process as well. But that that is the topic today. It's deconstruction. A lot of our listeners listened to my monologue on deconstruction and were like, we need a part two on this, which I took to mean I didn't explain it very well. So I thought of the very best person I knew. Yeah, I know you did. I know you did. But my guest today is the most articulate on the conversation of deconstruction that I found. And even though I think I started my deconstruction before him, I think he's carried me most of the way. (laughs) So without further ado, my guest today, Mr. Joseph Lee. Hi, friends and family and individual individuals. I don't know. That's not a word. Anyway, uh, but hey, thanks for having me. I'm actually um, really honored to be here. Um, I'm very flattered now that I can, am considered to be the most articulate person. Uh, things, audience, people, I'm speaking to you directly now, hello. Uh, things you need to know about me and about this particular episode. Buckle up, it's gonna be, it's gonna be something. I talk with this pen a lot. I have ADHD. Um, it's going to be a miracle if I can say things articulately, unlike what Trey said. <laughs> Just run with me. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm honestly, honestly honored to be here. All right, so let's let's hear let's hear the uh, let's hear the 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 story of Joseph. How did you get to be where you are today? Who you are today? Yeah, so it's funny that you said uh, that you said that you technically started deconstructing before me because I actually had several friends. This is a side note, everyone. We're already on a <laughs> rabbit trail. Um, I had. 
say like, oh, I started deconstruction way before you, but I sped run. Speed running deconstruction, honey. Speed running. I don't know how I did it, but I just, I, and then I went. So uh, I, don't, I don't even know how that process came about, but I, uh, I grew up, I was born in the southeastern section of North Carolina. I lived in a small town called Adkinson, T-K-I-N-S-O-N, for like, um, <clears throat> and it's, a, it's like a town of like, I think 375 people. So it's teeny, it's teeny, teeny. So I went to a Christian fundamentalist kind of conservative private school, K-12. I was deeply launched in two Southern Baptist churches and in the Southern Baptist tradition as a whole. And I grew up probably as fundamental evangelical, quite literally uh, Bible thumping, like, I don't know, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna leave other names out because I could use a few. Um, but that, that's how I was raised. And somehow or another, I guess through the power of the spirit, the guidance of the spirit, I ended up at a little college in Lakeland, Florida, which I won't name. I don't know if you've ever named the particular college. I, I did podcast. once on accident, but it's whatever. <laughs> what, what I said was it doesn't really matter because they can go look at our Wikipedia page and it's going to be there. So period. <laughs> but no, I mean, for this, because I'll be honest, this particular college would not like me saying the things I'm going to say. So to honor them, yeah. I went to a college that Trey also went to in yes. Lakeland, Florida. <clears throat> um, and I would say that my process of deconstruction started right as I was beginning to kind of come in as, as a freshman. There were small pieces of information that I was already beginning to gather, beginning to question. Like I was a strong complementarian at that mm. point. <clears throat> I don't know if, oh, yeah. if any listeners know what that means, but I didn't believe that women should lead and I didn't believe that women should be in ministry. Um, I, I got my, I'm going to curse. I got my ass handed to me by a professor um, <clears throat> because I, I, didn't, I didn't believe that and we had an argument and I, he mopped the floor with me. So we were already beginning a deconstruction period at that time, um, but as the years progressed, I began to kind of enter this, this phase of like, I'm beginning to see some problems in the church and the church and the faith that I was so confident in mm -hmm. is now beginning to look different. There was a dissonance that was beginning to build within me. And in between my junior and senior years at this college, I, we experienced uh, the George Floyd, well, we experienced COVID. Yeah. I mean, I literally have my mask standing right here with me because we're back in it again. We experienced COVID and I saw the 
ways in which the church treated the crisis. I myself have breathing issues, so I am at slightly at risk. Both of my parents are over the age of 60. And so they were at risk. And I just, it was very difficult to see the church acting in the ways that it was acting. And then George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Breonna Taylor, all of these individuals, um, their stories were light, their untimely deaths. And so I participated in the BLM movement and got tremendous pushback from the faith around me. And I began to go through a process of going, if this is Christianity, I don't know if I want it. Mm, yeah. This is the logical conclusion to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I don't want this gospel. <clears throat> and I was deeply hurt. And at that time, I also began to question a lot of theology. And one of the like key points of theology that I began to question was on the aspect of homosexuality, queerness, um, and marriage equality. And I met someone who, who is a gay pastor. I love him dearly. His name is Austin Gatkins. He's incredible. He helped guide me through a process of studying the scriptures deeply mm -hmm. and learning to accept not only queerness in other people, but accept queerness within myself. Mm -hmm. So hello, listeners. I am Joseph Lee. I am a queer uh, person who does queer theology, specializes in and apocalyptic literature, queer theology, liberation theology. Um, and after what is actually more than a year long process, I have begun to kind of re-enter some might say uh the field of ministry in a, in a real way so yeah i don't know if that makes any sense i'm i'm over here talk, trying to tell my story and i'm never that, as eloquent in telling the story as i think i should be i think you hit every every necessary point and uh well welcome and you are the first queer person on the podcast that's a celebration Woo! this is a celebration this calls for a toast toast with, um, cheers with our water <laughs> But on that topic, our podcast does lean more conservative in our mm -hmm. listenership. And uh, I know when I was at my most conservative fundamentalist point, if I heard a queer person come on to talk about the faith, I would probably turn it off, actually, because I would write them off and say, they're not actually Christian. So why should I listen to them? So if there's any of our listeners out there who are in that way of thinking now, what would you say to them? The first thing I would say to them is I get it. Like I, I completely get that because that was me over a year ago. If, if I heard someone come on a podcast and say, hey, I'm a queer Christian, I'd be like, excuse me? 
Mm. And I would literally click away because um, I think that stems from a fear of the unknown. Yeah. And most of us at this particular point in our political landscape, our faith, and in, even just in our personal lives, in our cultural context, live in a lot of what might be considered like a, I think it's called like a sound box, sound room. Mm-hmm. Like our an echo chamber. We're projecting an echo chamber. Thank you. <laughs> we live in an echo chamber. We're, we're used to hearing the things that make us comfortable. Nothing uh, that challenges us. So the first thing I would say is I get it. But I promise you, the world is bigger than you think. Theology is bigger than you think. Um, God is bigger and more inclusive than you think. Mm. So, so lean into the discomfort of hearing a perspective you may ne- never heard before. Um, and I, and I, the second thing I would say to them is kind of along the lines of, you can trust me. And I know the weight that comes with that trust, but you can trust me. And here's why. There's a lovely quote from the Reverend Broderick Greer that says, I do theology as a matter of survival because if people can do theology that produces brutality against black, transgender, queer, and other minority bodies, then we can do theology that leads to our common liberation. And Mm. the Reverend Greer is a queer, black uh, reverend and theologian and writer. So his point is this. Other people, people who sit in a place of privilege, white, cisgendered, straight men are probably the most privileged, but there's levels of privilege as intersectionality there. All right, so we had some technical difficulties. Joseph's phone overheated. <laughs> and now we are switching over not, to his computer. Is, I rebuke that. That is not a sign. Gay people do not go to hell. That is, is not a sign. My phone does not overheat in the name of Jesus. It's currently cooling it down here. Okay, so. but the fact that you have to say that, like, that is, that's trauma. That is trauma. No, no, no. That's why I literally posted something the other day that I was like, um, honestly, the amount of people who already think that either A, I'm going to hell, have told me that I'm going to hell, or have essentially insinuated to me that I'm going to hell, um, it's a miracle that I still like the faith. <laughs> I would love to speak on that. I'd love to speak on like how, okay. So, and this is also something that I wanted to get into based on what you were telling about your own story about, especially like around when the summer, you know, June, 2020, when we all had to hit the streets and protest and a lot of eyes were opened and a lot of hearts were hardened. Those both, both of those things happened, but I want to, there's definitely a connection between decolonizing and deconstructing. So it doesn't matter if you start with decolonizing, you are very likely going to deconstruct and vice versa. So, I mean, that's what my, my deconstruction started as decolonizing and led to deconstruction because I got into, I started researching 
black church theology. And I was like, oh, there's some real substance here. I like this. And I realized that there was a faith that faced suffering head on. And I see the same thing in the LGBTQ community. And I see that in you. And it's people like you that continue to wrestle with the church despite the BS that the church can put you through. Yeah. Uh, the most, I think if I was to look at people, um, I think it got cut off. I'm going to retouch on it just in case because, or I, I don't think it got cut off. I'm going to say it again. Queer people, queer people of faith do theology out of necessity, not out of privilege. Like yeah. straight theologians can do theology for fun. Before I was affirming, I literally did theology for fun. I I knew I enjoyed discussing God and theology and biblical studies and things like that. So it felt very natural to kind of get into that field. Um, But as a queer person, I have to, I have no choice in the matter. I am forced by the situations uh, by the circumstances of the and the characteristics of the faith today, the faith being Christianity at large, um, I am forced to do theology for my own survival. And that will make anyone, a black theologian, a, a theologian of color, a woman theologian, um, a queer theologian, anyone who does theology from the margins, it will be the best theologians, hands down. They're my favorite theologians yeah. to read because oh, yeah. they have had to because there are other people in power who do theology against my very existence. And for that reason, what? if anyone is more skilled in the ins and outs of the Bible and in the ins and outs of theology, it will be queer or theologians from the Bible. Yeah. Um, well, and that's that's exactly what what our Lord did. Is he went into the margins and lived out what we what we study today to create theology out of is how he lived his life on the margins. And uh, I, well, I'm thinking I'm thinking of the the the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees who he he critiqued so often. The Sadducees did theology in the temple, a temple where they were welcome into the, I mean, not into the Holy of Holies, but they could go further than Gentiles. They could go further than, than women. And they did not do their theology from, from the margins. They did their theology from an ivory tower. Well, I, so I'm really glad you brought up Jesus because that was the third thing I was going to tell people who were resistant to listening to a queer theologian or a queer biblical scholar or a queer ministry person in general. Um, it reminds me of the story, uh, Luke describes it in, in the best kind of detail, if I remember correctly, but... There's this particular story in which it's it's Jesus's first sermon, really. He gets up uh, and he goes to Nazareth. He returns home and he goes into the synagogue. He's invited to read and to preach from one of the scrolls of Isaiah. And he proclaims the year of Jubilee, 
um, this like very liberation heavy. I've come to set the captives free. I've come to uplift the poor and the oppressed. And Jesus does that. He reads from the scroll. And the people are just like, oh, it's amazing. I'm so glad. And then he sits down and he says, hey, besties, besties, I'm that guy. I am the Messiah come to bring the year of Jubilee. And the Israelites are like, period. They just have the time of their life. They're like so excited. The Jewish people in that synagogue are like clapping, praising, doing everything probably. And then he says, hey, but this is not just for you. It's for everyone. It's an inclusive year of Jubilee. This is a year of Jubilee for the Gentiles as well as for the Israelites. And because Jesus dares to be more inclusive than what they thought was correct, what they thought God would do, the entire synagogue is whipped into a rage, grabs Jesus, and then leads him to a cliff. The Son of God, the Messiah, the person they were literally minutes ago just clapping and celebrating, and they attempt to throw him off a cliff. Just because, just because, he dared to say that the gospel was more inclusive than they ever thought possible. Obviously, Jesus doesn't get thrown off a cliff. <laughs> our, our gospels would be very short. Um, <laughs> thankfully, he didn't get thrown off a cliff. He, he literally, miraculously, just walks away from the crowd. And, um, you know, sometimes I think we have to do that. Sometimes we just have to walk yeah. away from people who can't realize that the gospel is more inclusive, that God is bigger than we could have ever dreamed. And so that would, that would be what I would say. If you want to be conformed to the message of Jesus, at some point or another, I think you have to realize that the gospel is far more inclusive than you would have it. Yeah. So listen to queer people of faith. Listen mm -hmm. to the yeah. theologians of color that talk about race in the church and racism in the church. Listen to the people on the margins because they are the ones that Jesus proclaims the year of Jubilee to. So, yeah, that would be what I would say <laughs> to, uh, to someone who is like, oh my God, a queer person? Ew. I, I guess that's please take no offense no, to that people that's that's just my that's, caricature yeah oh my god yeah and i think I, we don't we don't think less of people for their theological persuasions being more conservative than us we can't otherwise we're looking back at our own selves years ago and looking down on us but no it's a process we're growing we're learning but that's perfect segue into the more deeper details of deconstruction though. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, it's, you it's go ahead. You, I want an to even hotter topic. Do I, I said, you go ahead, you leave, take the wheel. Oh, Jesus, yeah, yeah, take yeah. The wheel. 
Well, what's funny is after I posted that episode, and it definitely wasn't because of me posting the episode, like this is way bigger than people people don't even know about the podcast, but it 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 became an even bigger topic of discussion for a few weeks there. I mean, it it comes in cycles. We we get on the topic of deconstruction a thousand times a year, but it seemed to hit a hot spot because there was a certain pastor who made a tweet about deconstruction where he compared deconstruction to um, what slave masters were doing in early North America in order to uh, use their theology uh, to, to, to own slaves. He called this deconstruction. What do you think of that? Well, first I would like to say, um, I'll say several things. We'll say several things. Um, several things must be said here. Uh, first of all, I had a conversation with someone about this uh, over the internet, and it didn't go well, mostly because because I don't know if people are aware of the history surrounding this, uh, particular issue, but that is probably the most flipped around ironic way you could have ever talked about deconstruction because that is cannot be the furthest from the truth. Like, like that cannot be further from what is actually happening um, in a deconstructive process. So the biggest thing about that, no, 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 no. Uh, we'll talk about that. I know. <laughs> no, like, no. Um, <sighs> that that is such a bad take. Number one, it's just such a bad take. I just every time I I saw it again on my Twitter the other day, and I was like, please stop bringing that up on my feed because it was such a bad take. Uh, so, um, the biggest thing, and I think. We're, we're, we have planned to discuss some misconceptions about theology, uh, or not, not theology, Mis some misconceptions about deconstruction. Um, so we'll get to that later, but the biggest thing I want to say here is that I think the majority of those misconceptions come from a a lack of understanding of what actual deconstruction is. Now, I'm not trying to gatekeep Gaslight Girl Boss what deconstruction is. But... Which I hope you explain that term later because I've never heard those three words said back to back like that. So we'll get into that. I am chronically on TikTok. And Whatever that is. That is. Okay. I love it. Okay, I said I was a boomer with technology here, but that is a very Gen Z phrase. As a proud Gen Zer, oh no, guess what? They keep girl boss, mama. Period. Anyway, <laughs> I'll explain that. In a I'm not trying to to gatekeep uh, what it means for deconstruction, but I think that what happens is uh, this particular pandemic. A lot of people went through the same process that I did, seeing a dissonance between the church that they knew and loved and the church that was in front of them, protesting masks and protesting vaccines. And like, saying that it was totally justifiable that George Floyd died. And 
they saw that and they didn't know what to do with it. And so it began a process of internal um, observation and analyzation. And however, some people saw this trend and they fear it because it's very kind of anti-power, anti-established church. It's all this kind of trend of people questioning and then leaving the church. Uh, and they started um, almost a smear campaign against deconstruction, yeah. trying to flood, flood the proverbial Christian consumer market with articles and campaigns and discussions that all painted uh, deconstruction in different negative lights. Uh, and notice you'll you'll not hear me say the term reconstruction at any point in this particular besides that. Yeah. Um, yeah. At any point during this <laughs> during this podcast, because it's simply the term reconstruction is just cool. It's it's literally it, it got commodified to mean something it did it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It commodified. It got commodified to mean like, oh, well, don't go too far. And there's certain things you just absolutely can't touch. And once, you, once you've had your minute of being unsure, you have to come back to where you were. That is not what deconstruction is. So I figured we would start with a good, um, def a working definition of what deconstruction is. So I've written out one. Uh, and it says okay. uh, a process, so deconstruction is a process of analyzing deeply held communal or popular beliefs that result in a change of that belief, a reaffirmation of the belief, or, it, or an abandonment of the belief that is instigated, so this process is instigated by a traumatic or worldview-shattering experience. So that particular definition will become key in the rest of our conversation moving forward. But the idea here is that it's an analyzing of, your, of, a, of deeply held beliefs. Usually, and I say usually, 99.9999% of the time triggered by some degree of dissonance and trauma related to the community that that belief comes from. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And, and with a yeah. definition like that, you can see why we don't need to use language of reconstruction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, because I think in deconstruction, like there lies the possibility of reconstruction. Mm -hmm. I said I wasn't going to say it anymore. Here we go. Um, there, there lies the possibility. <laughs> That's of, my fault. <laughs> how dare you? No, I'm scared. Um, there lies the possibility of pulling together the scraps and creating something new, something more beautiful, something that is healing and uh, and life giving. But it doesn't have to be. Oh, I've tore down this building and now I'm going to reconstruct the building exactly as it was that that's not necessary mm -hmm. in, yeah. in, in 
deconstruction. In fact, there's not really a room for that. There's room for creating something beautiful and new. But the idea says there's there's transform transformation happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, so oh sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to bring back my notes because I need them. Um but yeah, I would say two-thirds of the issues that I have had with Christians, the church at large. Also note, when I say the church, I'm usually referencing the white evangelical church in America. Yeah. Yeah. I could even broaden that to say evangelical branches, but because, mm -hmm. because most people, if I'm being honest with you, listener, I'm with you, Trey. Um, if I'm being honest, most people are deconstructing from evangelicalism. Most people. Um, you could make arguments for certain mainline uh, denominations or certain, like, like out of Catholicism. But what we're seeing right now in, like, you know, Friday, September 3rd, 2021, is that the majority of people are fleeing and deconstructing out of evangelical circles. Because evangelical circles, in many cases, no, in many cases have set them up uh, in positions where they're doing harm. They're doing damage. They're they're creating atmospheres where that dissonance between the ideal of church and the the existence of church as it is, where that dissonance flourishes. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I wonder. Okay. Out. So there's definitely. Yeah. There's definitely a trend among millennials to be leaving evangelical spaces and then becoming honestly removed from the church at large. And then I think Gen Zers, hey, hey, millennials too, but it's an interesting phenomenon that a lot of Gen Zers and millennials who are ex-evangelical are finding safe spaces and homes in mainline Protestant traditions. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm at a place and right nobody now. saw that coming. Do I? I but said yeah, nobody I mean, saw that coming. Nobody saw that coming. But I think it's because this is a whole other conversation, but I, I think it's because a oh, lot definitely. of mainline denominations are doing one very specific thing right. It's that they're acknowledging the damage they have done in the past and are actively yeah. working to undo that damage. Most evangelical spaces refuse to acknowledge the church hurt, refuse to acknowledge the plethora, the list, the litany even of abuse and racism and homophobia and you can fill in the blank prejudice, hate, bigotry, whatever, they refuse to acknowledge that. But mainline denominations have split from them in that way, and that a lot of them, a lot of them 
are specifically saying, hey, we realized this was wrong, and now you're trying to do something different. And the Gen Z especially, millennials love that, yeah. but Gen Z especially is drawn to them because Gen Z wants to change the world. Yeah, it seems to be like, it's, yeah, it definitely Gen Z. It seems to be, we're at a weird place where Gen Z goes up to like our age, right? So like 23, maybe 25. So it seems like the age range is like 20 to 30 year olds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're elder Gen Zs, but so let's talk about this gaslight gatekeep girl boss because I'm I'm interested. I don't know how I missed the trend. I I mean I identify more as millennial, even though I'm in between. So I mess, I guess that's why. I, <laughs> but explain that one. Gaslight gatekeep girl boss. That's what. Um... <sighs> Can I say this? I don't know if I can say this. Um, if if it's not good, Annie will bleep it. You're fine. I'm going to say, Annie, prepare a bleep, darling. That's what real bad bitches do. <laughs> That's what they do. That's like they keep girl boss. So I I joke. I, <laughs> I put that in the notes. I put that in the notes, and I had a very real, like, well-meaning definition and joke behind it, and I don't actually remember what that was. I totally forgot what the joke is. There's a joke somewhere in it. Um, I think I was going to make the joke that I was not trying to gatekeep. Um, do you know what gatekeeping is? Yes, I know what all these terms are. I just never heard them okay. in in a row. Yeah, it's it's you know that's just how we live, honey. There's even, there's even, there was, there was the, the male leaning version that they made. It was Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss, uh, Mansplain Manipulate Male Wife. <laughs> oh, so, um, I figured that part of deconstruction is just gaslighting yourself. <laughs> Oh no, it's not. That's not true. That's not true. That's not <laughs> absolute. I'm gonna shut up now. And take a drink. All right, all right. If you don't have anything more to go into that, thanks. Yeah. No, I don't have anything at all. Thanks for explaining <laughs> that. That was. I left it in the. I left it in the notes because I was like, I don't remember what I was gonna actually do with this. So. I had okay. a very serious. Well, it made for good humor, so that's good. Maybe it'll come back okay, to you. So middle. there's definitely and we we kind of hinted at this with the with the tweet we were mentioning earlier where he compared deconstructing to to what slave masters did in order to justify having slaves. And the the, the serious flaw there, other than the fact that uh, that is a gross comparison to compare what all these traumatized kids and young adults are doing because Anyways, I don't know where you make that connection, but he's he's ba- he's making the claim that the point of deconstruction is to legitimize sins that we want to commit. The reason we deconstruct is because we don't want to follow the the morality of the church and therefore we deconstruct so we can delegitimize what the church is saying so we can go have our fun and eat our cake. Yeah, I mean that's that's the that was the basis of um, that was you get to have fun, Joseph. Now because this room is cooking me alive. Um, 
But that was the basis of the conversation or, or the, the statement that he was making. And I've been dealing with people who've been going through deconstruction now. Because I started, I started leaning towards ministering to people who were hurt by the church, which is almost code word at this point for either gay or deconstructive. So um, mm -hmm. <laughs> if someone looks at you and says, I've been hurt by the church, honey, they've either had a crisis of faith or they're queer um, at this point. Uh, that's, a, that's about it. So I, I started kind of angling my ministry towards them. Uh, I'd probably say like, almost, I'd probably say at the beginning of 2018. Um, so for several years now, I've been talking to people who've been going through very serious deconstruction, faith crises, um, difficult time. And I just want to say this, not once, not not a single instance have I ever found in which anyone wanted to deconstruct. No one, no one that I know of actively said, hey, I have sin in my life. I think I'm going to attempt to deconstruct um, and just find an excuse for it. If I really wanted an excuse to sin, I wouldn't need an excuse to sin. I could just sin and be quiet yeah. about it. And the only person that would know would be me and God. And that's what we see in evangelical circles all the time. So why would anyone need to deconstruct in order to legitimize anything? The fact of the matter is this. That's one of my phrases. The fact of the matter is this. No one deconstructs on purpose. No one begins the process of this, again, using the definition before, a process of analyzing belief on a whim. It is almost always triggered by pain and trauma and suffering. And so in this discussion of, oh, well, people wanted to like, people want to deconstruct because, you know, they're just wanting to be sinful. No one, the biggest, that is one of the biggest lies because no one wants to deconstruct. No one, there are, and we'll talk about this in just a second, but there are literally several things that you have to sacrifice one of them being the acceptance yeah. and the belong the acceptance of your peers and the belonging of in a community. And no one wants to lose that. No sin is really that enticing to put you through mm -hmm. years, perhaps even a lifetime of isolation, because you chose to be outside. You chose to, to look for the inconvenient truths beyond the convenient ideas. Like no, one, like no one chooses that. You are often forced out in deconstruction. So, um, and discussing that tweet, there a really awesome 
I don't know too much about her. Maybe this is my absolute bad because I didn't, um, excuse me, because I didn't uh, look her up as much as maybe I should have. But a really awesome lady uh, by the name of Candace Marie Benbow. You can look her up on Twitter at Candace Benbow, B-E-N-B-O-W tweeted kind of in response, it's kind of a subtweet, so that's kind of bad, but um, <laughs> she tweeted in response to that tweet, and I feel like th that that's really powerful, and, and I really want to share part of what she says, because she has a lot to say, um, and she says this, there are a lot of folks coming for deconstruction as of late, they're coming for it, honey. Deconstructing faith matters. Stop listening to those who seek to tell you deconstruction is all about finding ways to justify sin. Stop listening to them. Be very clear. The critique of deconstruction is rooted in whiteness, no matter who voices the critique. Deconstruction is about shifting the balance of power. It's always been about enabling the most vulnerable and marginalized to draw closer to God who values them as they are and readied the world for their survival and their thriving. So, and then she continues and says, those who lament that this trend is about the future of the church, they are only invested in maintaining church as it is. They negate church hurt and refuse accountability and responsibility for religious violence and harm. They dismiss criticisms that, an that there were genuine opportunities during a pandemic to address theological issues at the heart of the divides themselves. They want to preserve power. If you are looking for a chief deconstructionist, now this one made me as a, as a sort of Pentecostal want to like run. If you're looking for a chief deconstructionist, Look no further than the life of the man whose name we claim as our salvation. The temple's ripped veil is all the proof we will ever need. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, AJ Svoboda calls Jesus the great deconstructor. Yeah. And I think C.S. Lewis calls him the great, uh, that God is the great iconoclast. Even this mm -hmm. image of yeah. God that we have put it up he destroys every time time and time again yeah so yeah um i have so much there was so much i wanted to say there and i'm yeah i know, but, you know we, we probably have we have a good 10 minutes so if there's anything more you want to say about the the myths and misconceptions the myths and misconceptions now is time now is my time honey we're just moving through yeah. it okay on the um, clock <laughs> That's the thing. Listen, I love there really to talk. is not enough time. There's never There's enough, not time. enough time. Yeah. Um, so you've already talked about people deconstructing too far, and we already talked about quote unquote like reconstruction and the myth there. Um, nothing like none of that. The the every single um, kind of misconception about deconstruction all comes back to that definition. Mm -hmm. It's a belief, it's an analyzation, it's a process 
It's not something you do once and then you just get over. It's usually, if not a lifelong process, in which you sacrifice your love of certainty and comfort and belonging. Yeah. Yeah. To, like, like, I was listening to it. There's a really great, can I shout out another podcast on this podcast? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please do. Yes. I mean, it's kind of a we'll, conference. We'll put it in the link below. There we go. Okay. There's a really amazing, yeah. um, there's a really amazing uh, group called the Evolving Faith Community. It was started by the chief deconstructionist. May she may she rest in lovely peace. I actually did pray that. Um, Rachel Held Evans is a wonderful author. Um, I don't even know if I can really describe all the things she did for the community of people who do construct. But uh, she started this community called the Evolving Faith Community that holds a conference every year in which, oh, excuse the ambulance. Um, <clears throat> she holds this conference. Um, and uh, though she is no longer with us, she uh, th this conference does amazing things. Jen Hatmaker, the lovely Jen Hatmaker, was just on uh, on the podcast that that, that talks about their um, sermons, not the right word, but their talks at the conference. And she talks about deconstruction in two really profound ways. And I'm not gonna like, because I'm gonna try to get in under 10 minutes. Um, one, you're in a city and when you deconstruct, usually what happens is uh, evangelicalism is this city. It's this beautiful grand city. It's a metaphor that the Bible uses often. But in order to maintain your place inside the city walls, you either you have to do two things. You have to behave and you have to believe. Infractions in either one of those categories then causes you to be either be moved further away from community or ousted entirely. So if you are deconstructing, usually you've already, you've already transgressed in the belief area. And because your beliefs have probably changed, yeah. you no longer behave the same way. You don't conform. And so oftentimes people are ousted from community. So But in order to have that community, you have to bow to the idol that evangelicalism has set up, in my opinion, that is acceptance by your peers, that is um, not belonging, that's not the word I'm looking for. It's a, it's a, it's a false acceptance. Yeah, it is a false acceptance. It's yeah. we're going to say we accept you as long as you follow this, you fall in within these criteria. Yeah. The moment you step out, no. your belonging is in jeopardy. So people who deconstruct are courageous people because they have to be okay with laying their belonging down at the feet of Jesus and saying, it's a lonely journey, but I want to follow you. 
I want to know God. I want to see the world yeah. as it is. I want to be a person of truth. So um, um, my, the biggest kind of misconception of deconstruction is that it's this easy, simple thing that people want to do because they're just trying to look for some way to, you know, excuse their sin. But in truth, yeah. nothing could be further from the truth. So I'll say that there. Yeah. There's so well, much like, we can say. <laughs> like even, okay, so th- the beginning of my deconstruction, well, I, I did not want to deconstruct. I mean, I was, mm. I was already opening myself up to, I, I learned that racism was still a problem. <laughs> I mean, that's an exaggeration. I knew it was a problem, but I didn't realize how bad of a problem it was. And so that kind of started me down this journey of opening my eyes and seeing how systemic issues are still at large. And then, and then on a different note, I read our friend, Dr. Chris Green's review of that all should be saved. And for the first time I thought, wait a minute. There's people that don't believe in internal conscious torment that are Christians. And I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I read the article and I was like, I'm not so sure about this. And then a few weeks later, I remember I woke up and the first thought that came into my mind was, I do not believe in that hell anymore. And I'm going to be socially ostracized for this. (laughs) I'll put it to you this way. Um, the, The day that... My process of, of becoming accepting for my own queerness was very, very kind of long and drawn out. Um, but I remember there was a, a, a particular point that I, first of all, other information about me, I went to school to be a missionary. Somehow or another, we're definitely not doing That's that. a whole other story. That's a whole concept, honey. That's a whole concept. Um, but yeah. I, I went to school to be a missionary. Um, obviously I'm not doing that now. Um, but I remember laying, I was laying in bed and I was going through all the evidence in my brain, just racking my brain to try to say, can I still think that being gay is a sin? And I couldn't, I could not say that. I tried hard and I, I was laying in bed for hours, uh, not able to go to sleep just thinking i can't find i can't find a biblical i can't find a biblical defense for non-affirming theology and i remember laying in bed tears streaming down my face soaking the pillow behind me and i finally said this is it this is it my calling is over Doing ministry is over because no one wants a queer pastor and no one wants a queer minister. And I remember God spoke to me. I live in the South. That was a revved up pickup truck. Um, (laughs) I remember God spoke to me so clearly. He said, Joseph, do you love me or do you love your calling? Mm. And I just broke. And I was like, God, you know I love you. And he said, I'm the one who calls you. And I've called you to love the least of these. 
and that includes yourself, including your queerness. And I have called you to something greater and an adventure unlike anything you could have imagined. And it was from that day forward that I stopped thinking of myself as some person who was called by God to be a specific missionary, but I started looking at my calling and going, God's called me to love. God's called me to love. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I get that. I, I know the very same. <laughs> I know that feeling because I had this moment where I was like, I'm never going to be accepted. But I would much rather be authentic, joyful, and have peace in my life than be accepted as a queer yeah. person, as a deconstructed and person. Authentic is, is the perfect word to describe who you are. And what I love about you, um, I, we, we have one more thing we, we should we should hit before we go. But but what I do love about you is that even though you have the capacity, you had the capacity here to be a theological pugilist and just completely ram the counter arguments down the more conservative fundamentalist throat. And yet you take the path of empathy for all involved. And like, it makes me think of, you know, we both participated in different student theological debates where the one I did, I didn't believe either of the sides they were taking, the, the, the two positions that our school allowed. And you didn't believe either the two sides that the school allowed in your debate or discussion, whatever it was. And both of us said, hey, we are not here to win a war. We are here mm -hmm. to make sure everybody here can be set on a better path toward healing. Yeah. And so even though you had to take, you know, y'all were, y'all were debating hell, like, is it eternal or is it like you, like the fire burns you until you are no more. And you're like, you do not have to believe either of these. Okay. I'll never forget. Like if these two I... positions give you trauma. I will never forget. I, I was, I was supposed to be the practical side of the debate and literally, literally um, my, I have a group text of friends who were in the audience and they were literally like screaming through the phone at me to just like make a point. <laughs> they were like, make a point, damn it. Um, because I just refused. I was just, I was just so concerned about, cause I could see the body language in the audience shift Yeah. when, yeah. when the internal conscious format people started talking. There were people in there who were probably queer. In fact, I know yeah. there were, there were people in the audience yeah. that were queer that had been told all their lives that, that queer people are going to hell. There yeah. were, um, there were people in there who barely knew Jesus, you know, just baby new Christians who were listening to a debate about hell of all things. And, and so I was like, this is the moment. This is the moment to, I don't, I don't care if I make a point. People, people need life giving words right now. And that's, I think, I think a lot of the church is stuck 
in trying to make points when people need life-giving words and life-giving yeah. love. So it's a whole tangent. I would totally get off on that. That's wonderful. I would totally go down that well, rabbit trail. It's, but... not, it's not a tangent. I mean, it, it leads perfectly in, into the last thing we should get into. Like, what would you say to those of us in the midst of deconstruction, in the midst of the, the hell of a life that it brings onto you when you realize that people are going to reject you because of this? It'll be okay, besties. <laughs> no, no. Um, I would say several, several things. Um, I would say, number one, the loneliest, and, and this I'm, I'm borrowing heavily from Jen Hatmaker in, the, in that specific talk, but the loneliest steps you will ever take are between the city and the table in the wilderness. Because there's a table in the wilderness prepared for you. There's a community of people unlike any you would have ever known in the city who are more diverse, more creative, more loving, welcoming, you can fill in the blank, than you could have ever imagined. And there is a community for you. It might be exceptionally lonely in the meantime. That walk from the city to the table can be exceptionally lonely, exceptionally hard. And you can hear people tell you all day long that, that you've made a mistake. You can hear them yelling from the parapets of the walls. But keep walking towards the table because you will find a community, an authentic community, unlike anything you'd ever known. People ask me all the time, and maybe they, they don't ask me, they, but they bring it up talking about, as a queer person, um, you know, oh, well, do you feel like, like, aren't like queer people have a, a negative lifestyle that like pushes them away from God? And I think a very similar thing is here for deconstruction. But when I decided to accept myself for who I am, as God made me, I never in my life have felt more whole, have felt more joy, and I can cry. Uh, I've never felt more peace in the midst of oppression and misunderstanding and attacks from many people, even close personal friends and family. I've never felt more peace, never felt more loved, never felt more whole. And everyone I know who's gone through deconstruction, when they encounter others, because there are others out there, there's plenty of us, there's yeah. literally so many people, and yeah. the list is growing day by day by day. 
by thousands of people. Mm-hmm. There's a vibrant community for you. You might be wondering right now, where do I belong? Who are my teachers? Who are the people who love me? Who, where is my community? There's one out there. You just got to keep walking. Hang in there. Because uh, this is the second thing I'd say. Because God honors the courage that it takes to leave. Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. Nothing is wasted in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the most waste-free place you'll ever imagine. We here, in, in this time, in this place, are used to saying, like, oh, I hate when I waste my time. I hate that this happened, that it was such a waste of effort, or, you know, uh, nothing is ever wasted in the kingdom of God. No sorrow, no time, no years of your life. Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. And God will use that courage that it takes to leave to transform your life. To bring you on an adventure that you've never known. If you hadn't, if you hadn't chosen to, to be honest and seek the inconvenient truths. And the last thing I think I'd say um, to queer people of faith, but I would also say to, and I say queer people of faith because that, that's really my heart. Oh God, that was Christian news. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> I, the real tea, here's the real tea, sis. That's some queer international. <laughs> But the real key we've already gone over time so you might as well just say whatever you want here i'm so sorry people um nah it's worth it yeah i'm so sorry but uh the real tea is that um i forgot okay uh jesus oh i was talking about okay i was talking about christianities i've spent like two plus years working with people who have been hurt by the church. So I've spent two years trying to extract Christianese from my vernacular, but it still slips in. That's how, how deep a roots I had in evangelical Christian circles. I'll say things like, oh, it's just this season that I'm in. And I'm like, oh my God. That was more Christianese. And I have spent years trying to get that out of my vernacular and it's still there. Okay. Sorry. All right. This is this is the last thing I would say. This is important. So try not to cut this part out, even if you have to cut that. Um, the last thing I would say is that Jesus is there at the table. He is the one inviting you there, and he is constantly with you. Mm-hmm. There is no amount of questioning that you can do that he is afraid of. You will not be the one boulder that crashes his castle, okay? We think of ourselves really highly, and it is probably the biggest uh, pride check to deconstruct because you realize that there is nothing that you could do to upset Jesus. There is no question you you could ask. There um, There is no belief or disbelief 
that 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 you could possess and or deconstruct, get rid of whatever that would make Jesus love you any less. Yeah. You are valid. Your journey is valid. Your identity mm-hmm. is valid. The season of your life right now is valid. <laughs> Don't come for me. Um, <laughs> but it's valid. And Jesus honors it. And Jesus is with yeah. you in this journey. And not only is he with you, he has prepared that seat at the table in the wilderness special for you because it is in the wilderness that God calls his people, that God blesses his people. It's in the wilderness that Jacob wrestled against an angel, but really God. Jacob wrestled against the spirit of God and demanded a blessing from God. And God granted him a blessing, changed his name to Israel, the father, the one who wrestles with God, and then wrenched his zip out of socket so he would walk with a constant reminder of who he was. That's deconstruction. And Jesus is there in the It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the... Jacob, Jacob in the wilderness wrestling with God is is the deconstruction motif right there. And then also, my closing thought would be for those who are deconstructing and you do feel like you are alone. uh, Recently, I started thinking of Elijah when he is mad at God for being the only prophet willing to be honest and speak God's truth. And God says, "Uh uh-uh. No, honey, there's 7,000 more of you. They're out there. Um, yeah. But Joseph, you you are a wonderful person. I, it is my sincere honor to know you and be one of your close friends. And you inspire me. You really do. So thank you for coming well, on. And I, well, I, I do want to say um, my closing thought is that that you are blessed and you are beloved. If you think that I have said um, a crock of whatever, keeping that family friendly, um, if you think I've said a crock of whatever, you are blessed and you are beloved. (laughs) Keeping it family friendly, right? If you are deconstructed, you're blessed. If you're not, you're blessed. If you hate me, you're blessed. You hate Trey, you're blessed. If you hate this podcast, you're blessed. And you are beloved. So, uh, and you, Trey, are blessed and beloved. And I'm grateful that you're in my life. So, uh, thank you for having me on. You, uh, you, sa- you saying that reminds me, there's a New Girl episode where they have the one guy that comes in and he's just always like, be blessed. <laughs> be blessed. <laughs> Every time. And Nick walks in. He's like, wait, you know this guy? Be blessed. <laughs> anyways, anyways, all that to say, Joseph, thank you for coming on. And I want to just thank uh, Maximize Digital Media and Annie Yuli for producing this episode. And we will catch you on the next one. Be blessed. Be blessed, beloved. <laughs>